Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Flail Forward. That's your host here, Rob. Uh, I've got with me tonight, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello. Patrice is here. Yep, I'm alive, honestly. Capoir is joining us tonight. I'm still not sure this was a good idea. <laughs> Don't say that as your... Just say hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi. We're doomed. And we have a special guest. Joining us for some reason, uh, glutton for punishment, maybe. Um, Blue is joining us again. Uh, hello, hello. Hello. Uh, Parslings is coming out September 8th on Kickstarter. And we're so excited, excited to, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see this in print. Uh, yep. Yeah. So uh, we're going to ask him some questions about, um, about the game, about the process, actually, I think is. How's the, uh, how's the process been? It's me. It's been interesting. <laughs> it's been up and down. Because um, again, this was the first project that I've ever done. So I ended up, I, I, this is not the process I would suggest for anyone. But I started writing, then I put some parts into InDesign, then I started illustrating, then I went back to writing, and then I put more parts in, <laughs> and more illustrations. And it's been hectic, because yeah. now cross-referencing is impossible, because nothing's in order. And I'm using no. an old version of InDesign, so it doesn't let me rearrange how cross references appear. Oh no! Are you mean like that? <laughs> I am also using an old version of InDesign that I bought back in college, uh, and it's like, yeah, I totally feel where you're coming from on that. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, that's that's a pain I, I felt like, especially like when linking stuff and it breaks, <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, uh, it's so yeah. frustrating. So frustrating, but hopefully I've caught every error now. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. Got you. Um, yeah. So for for anyone who is hearing this or listening to us who hasn't uh, encountered parcelings before, um, what's the takeaway that you want people to have? What what is the, your your elevator pitch, um, and has it changed at all from the last time we spoke? Um. I, I don't think the elevator pitch has changed, but okay. I've rewritten it so many different times for different crowds. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but essentially, Puzzlings is a deck building tabletop RPG where, let me read my script, um, about, ide <laughs> about identity and collaborative word magic. In a world like our own, strange new tattoos have begun to emerge, and reality has begun to melt away as people discover the magic of these tattoos, and it turns into a twisted reflection of itself. Um, essentially, parslings are people that are, have these special tattoos, and by themselves, these tattoos do nothing. But when we bring them together with other people's words, they can create magic. And I guess that's the pitch. <laughs> what, uh, what do you find the characters doing in the games, mostly? Mostly trying to survive, because as you've got magic, so does everyone else. And there's a whole bunch of monsters that do start to emerge, because the source of this power is something called a parasite. It's this little creature um, that infects things, and it's infected humans to give them the tattoos, but it also can infect, um, infect um, animals. So... We've got monsters that have magical powers as well. So it's a little bit of a kerfuffle, to say the least. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, do the monsters also 
have this world word building uh, combination power because I don't think we covered that last time. They do indeed. They can actually interact with the humans to um, do magic with them, but mostly the creatures, they eat um, whatever their word is. So if you had a creature with the word metal, it'd be eating all the metal in sight. And this obviously can lead to problems. That's a very mm. vague term. <laughs> Hopefully there's none that are named like platonic solids. <laughs> <laughs> or time. Time would be bad. Ooh, yeah. It's a good Ooh, call. Yeah. Triangle. That would be a bad one. <laughs> but more or less, they're kind of conceptual leaders. They eat whatever the word is in concept as well. So you could have love, you could have hate, you could have loyalty. Mm. And it, as you can imagine, that would cause a lot of problems in society. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so more so than you'd think. Like, hate. You'd think it'd be a good thing if, oh, if everybody just loved, there was no more hate. It's like, well, we kind of need hate to deal with, you know, really bad things, too. Mm -hmm. Like, if nobody hated the Nazis, nobody would have done anything about it. It's like, okay, maybe we actually kind of need that emotion. Exactly. And it's not like a global effect either. It's not like it takes all the love out of the world instantly. It's whatever it can get its hands out on. So it's going to cause an imbalance. So do you find that the players usually play as characters who are trying to uh, confront these? Or is it just like they're existing in a society that's been affected by them? Are they like trying to wrangle the these creatures that are devouring different things? Or, or what's the um, overarching plot for a group? Is it dependent on the players? or It's usually dependent on the players because okay. I've run... I've won... I've had this one shot that I run for everyone. And it's gone down a couple different. It's gone down a lot of different avenues. Sometimes the players try to prevent, um, to befriend the creatures. Sometimes they try to kill them. Sometimes they just run away. So it really does depend on the group that you're playing with. Um, I again, I've run this through a couple different storylines before, but I think my favorite is the one about Nominal City, where you're sort of caught up in this quarantine and you're trying to survive. You're trying to get out of the quarantine because you don't know what's coming next. And the monsters that lurk in the dark are very real. Hmm. Okay, so, so this is like the opening of every quarantine monster movie. Is somebody broke quarantine and now we're all screwed? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's the plot to Alien. Great. I mean, it's just, yeah, classic. Contagion. Quite a few others. Like, oh, 28 um, days and 28 uh, months later. All the 28s. All the 28s. God, <laughs> like a month. It usually takes a month before things go to hell. Like, mm. honestly, if you give people magic powers and then you try to shove them in the box where uh, they can't escape, some people might get a bit antsy. Just to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Just to yeah, say the it's least. Kind of hard to box people in if they have access to magic, too. It's like, that's probably going to let them get out of the box. Yeah, kind of like Corona. Double thumbs up. And trying to tell people to stay home all the time. Mm -hmm. That's another <laughs> story entirely. I mean, you can totally beat this thing. All you have to do is weld people into their houses. Exactly. Keep them isolated. But 
that's also going to cause issues. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. The U.S. we've not been managing it all that great. <laughs> we <laughs> we're um, doing pretty well in Australia, so we're yeah, lucky. You are. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think that's um, kind of a good thing. Still, like the idea. <laughs> A quarantine where you're quarantining people with magic. Oh, so there's monsters in there with you too. It's like that's really not a good way to keep people quarantined. It's like, okay, here's here's the bomb shelter. Also, we released wolves into it to keep things interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It's a good description of it. Uh-huh. So the stories that you can tell with the setting end up being quite diverse. Mm-hmm. And I've had um, playtesters do everything from uh, witch hunts back in the 1700s to sci-fi fu- futuristic stuff with the system. So it's pretty flexible. It just really depends on the GM and their disposition. What does uh, how does the game handle those those different like tech levels and stuff? Uh, well, honestly, it, it relies on the GM to manage them well because items and gear aren't so much. A, it aren't so important as much as your ability to use the magic system, which is you take one of your character's words and put it together with another character's words to solve a situation. Mm. So it can sort of meld with most genres that mm. involve monsters <laughs> and possibly, you know, conflict. I think you're. I think you're set. I don't think there's a lot of genres without monsters and conflict that you could. I mean, westerns, but even westerns, you got. You have some things that are monstrous in there. You got well, you, you got know. people that are monsters in the westerns. Yeah. Even like even in some of the uh, I don't know what was that um, like a Wendigo that's that comes up in in, in certain western. Uh, uh, yeah, that was like um, the yeah. people that engaged in cannibalism and turned mm-hmm. into like this manny supernatural man eating thing. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it was a cautionary tale against being a cannibal. I think mainly, but it's, uh, I'm not sure that there is any myth tradition without monsters in it. I mean, no, I don't. Well, besides high school, but then you've got your bullies and your teachers and the principal, right? Yeah. Principal's always the final boss. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was even thinking like survival, but they're still technically monsters. Like, if you have survival in, say, like mm. the mountains, you might still be beset upon by like wolves or cougars on um, if you're in the desert it's like Fair. well there's there's a snake or something out there scorpions yeah. maybe so i mean they might not be big scary monsters but still something that you have to deal with so i think you're probably set in almost every situation absolutely it's just all up to the gm like with mm-hmm. most systems, they, well, most systems should be able to adapt. You just have to reskin things, mm-hmm. and it doesn't sure. take too long to reskin. Doesn't so, work with all all systems. It sounds like yours works a lot better in this than mm. most. <laughs> um, we, when I was going through my be- with my beta, I should say my alpha group because they're not really betas. Um, alpha group, um, we had a lot of discussions about some of the skill names, and we resolved to call technology tech just so that it could relate to everything. Um, mm-hmm. We tried to make it um, error free and go on with topics that 
every era could appreciate. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. That's a so that's a very smart approach to it. And I uh, those are the kinds of things that I feel only really come out in testing, where you in your brain you're like, oh, technology, of course. And then once you start to realize how much potential your game has, and you can kind of tweak these things, then it it opens up a lot of opportunity. So that's cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun having those arguments. I know it lasted weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But on, it's it's weird too though because for something like technology, it's like almost everything is technology. Like even magic is usually a form of technology. Mm-hmm. Don't tell my players that. At... <laughs> too late. <laughs> but if you if you're doing yeah. something like really far back in time, like say ancient Sumeria or something, you're looking mm-hmm. at like the code of Hammurabi or something. That's still mm. technically technology. It's like social technologies like laws or, you know, even just something as simple as eye for an eye is a form of technology. It's something we had to develop. Yeah, it's a really broad term and it's an interesting thing because a lot of words we use today, the meanings have been warped and shift, shifted a lot. Because in the modern era, when we say technology, when we say tech, we're starting to think more and more just about computers, not like the wheels we use. We're not talking about um, the way we use pens, because that's technically technology as well. Yeah, I mean, it just means skilled language. Mm. I think a lot of that is just our modern issues that we have, like uh, big tech, for example. So we think Mm -hmm. of tech as you know, relating to computers, because big tech does not really refer to, you know, the people making your pens. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Hopefully. wouldn't that be interesting if Google's just putting out their Pixel 4 pen that also, you know, transmits everything you write back to Google? Oh, God, that's scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, if you're looking at, like, a tablet, no, but everything you write on paper. Yeah. There, I know when I was a lot younger, there was also like this artist pen that would record your emotions, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it could translate it directly back onto the computer at the end of the day. So it's mm-hmm. not impossible. Yeah. We're doing it right now. <laughs> that being you. This is a good opportunity to mention our sponsors, Google. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> And the um, NSA, and, yeah. <laughs> and if we could get Google paying us, I'd be happy. <laughs> I think that's just YouTube, I think is what that does, but they're not that's doing fair. it yet because yeah. like, um, nobody's listening. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, You'll see. So yes. Bringing this back to, to where you are with the Kickstarter, um, I know we had mentioned that COVID has caused uh, a couple of uh, delays or like incidents with stuff um how about in terms of moving forward are you concerned at all about fulfillment or anything like that with the the project well the only thing i think that would be difficult is shipping but Mm -hmm. i think smudgy has a pretty good handle on that awesome um so i think we're mostly using kick um drive-through rpg for fulfillment and i think it's murder publishing um tabletop grow or Jordan, but I don't know too many of those details because I I decided 
to get a publisher so that I wouldn't have to right. think too much about this. <laughs> and yeah. and that's yeah. that's probably for the best, especially with your first project, because you get to really focus on the part of the the aspect that you really like and what your your skills are in. Uh, I know you've put a ton of work into the, the product itself, so I think it makes sense to work with someone that can can complement what you've already done. Exactly. Why do all the? Um, I, I guess is is the idea of not having to do all the jobs yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, um, sticking to what you have. Yeah, I um, I was actually speaking with um, Steve D a while ago, and um, he had mentioned that he had uh, heard about parcelings through uh, uh, a convention, I think, locally. Um, and yeah. Uh, um, um, he was the relics. He's he did relics, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> and it kind of got me thinking about how you um, sort of tried to share parcelings and and what kind of outreach you've done. Um, were there things that you found were were helpful to share? Like, what kind of things um, do you find that players gravitated towards? What were the 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 winning points that kind of got people on your servers and talking about the game? And, was it just you playing it with them, or, or what kind of stuff do you do? Well, I think there's a couple of different things that really breaks down why people are attracted to parceling. Mm-hmm. One of them is that I have pre- pretty good art, and it's not the usual fare of painted illustrations. Mm-hmm. So it stands out a little bit. I know my colors, yada, yada, yada. I'm... A, I'm uh, I will... I was a hobbyist artist, but I guess I'm no longer a hobbyist artist once this Kickstarter goes live. Um, there was the deck building, um, which a lot of people are um, gravitating towards because either they're tired of dice systems or it's, it seems like something new, something yeah. different. So there's that. And I guess word magic got into a lot of people that want an open magic system because it's very much defined by the characters rather than the rule set. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more chances to customize. Um, that's what drew people in. What got people staying is when I played a one-shot with them and showed them the power of the system. Mm. Um, or just simply talking to them. And I've done a lot online. Um, a lot more in my early days when I was still going through the beta. Um, but I've also done a lot in Australian cons. Speaking of which, there's PAX, onla- um, PAX Online, um, and PAX AUS is joining onto that. And I've got sessions open during that time, which is okay. September 12th to September 20th, I believe, which I'm running every day for whoever does want to join me. Awesome. Yeah. Are, are those sessions still open? Can people still sign up for them? Honestly, I don't think they've opened for sign up yet. Oh, okay, so cool. keep your eyes peeled. There you go. Very nice. Let's see if I can find uh, a link to that. Yeah, we'll <clears throat> we'll definitely share a link in our yeah. our, our description. Um, in terms of for your own like um, projections and stuff with uh, your game, do you, what what kind of expectations do you have coming into uh, the Kickstarter? Do you have like you're like thinking 20 people might pick this up or you have like what what are your dreams for for parcelings well i've actually kind of hit my dream for parcelings a long time ago to get at nice. least 100 people to play it yeah wow um so anything beyond here is kind of a bonus um nice 
currently on the Kickstarter. Um, I think 130 people, from what I checked this morning, have signed up to be notified. So hopefully it's more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been telling your, uh, talking about your game with uh, some, some friends of mine, and I know that um, as soon as the Kickstarter is up, I'm going to be sending them to your page. So I, mm-hmm. I'm, I think there might be 20 people just associated with, uh, with me that might be coming to your game. So... Uh... <laughs> Thank you it's, so much. Yeah. <laughs> of course, it's it's really exciting to see, and uh, your your community that you've built is really inviting and and welcoming, and you've done a great job at managing that aspect. Um, yeah. <laughs> how have you been finding like integrating what other people's feedback is into your game? Um, has it been challenging at all to see like you as the designer and what you kind of intended, and then where people want to take the game or what aspects they see that they they think they might um, have a different opinion on? Where where have you sort of drawn the line for yourself of like taking those kinds of suggestions or or um, sticking to what you wanted? Well, I guess there's always a question of how many people notice the same thing. Mm. Because if it's just one person that finds this as a problem, then maybe it's just one person. Maybe right. it's their personal taste, but once it starts picking up and there's more than two or three that pick it up, then I actually have to take a serious look at what's going on. Some of the issues I can fix, like there's been plenty that I've changed and I've had actually played games with people afterwards and they say, I'm really glad that you fixed that. Mm. And there's other issues that I think are inherent to the process itself that aren't so easily fixed without another mm. stroke of genius or a flash of inspiration. Um, but a lot of them come down to more how people play in general rather than the mechanics. So it's a bit difficult always to fix things. <laughs> yeah. What's an ex- give, give, give me an example of something like that where you had to, where somebody was like, hey, this isn't working for me. And then mm-hmm. the change, what, what was... Uh... If you can be specific, I'm not sure if you have one in your back pocket. So the PAR system um, revolves around getting people to agree to do one thing together. Mm-hmm. So say someone has the idea that they want to stop rubble from falling on someone. And you've got five different words and ten different solutions. Mm-hmm. The conversation to get to a solution can take a while if the group doesn't mesh well together. Mm. Um, it's like working on a group project not everyone mm-hmm. agrees mm-hmm. and unfortunately that's a cool mechanic about getting people to consent and work together so that's one of the difficulties with the PAR system it seems it's really hard to describe without actually going through it um, because words have so many different meanings as we were discussing before when we were talking about technology so I think I used this example last time, but what does the term, what does the phrase "cold shoulder" mean to you guys? Oh yeah, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. The, turning the cold shoulder. And I, I think I remember this. Uh, the the story you had was that uh, there was sort of like a a road, and you can like slick it with ice so that the shoulder <laughs> of the road is is frozen over. And it's mm-hmm. just like these different meanings of of what could uh, what you could interpret it. And it's it's such a cool. Uh, way of looking at it um, and I think that example is like specifically you can kind of take it as almost a pun where there are mm. these different different meanings um, 
and I think we had talked about this last time, do you have any kind of structure for the, the words that you uh, choose and select so that you kind of get these interesting combinations of like cold and shoulder and they come together to mean potentially different things? So there's actually two kinds of tattoos that a person mm. can have. One is an aspect. This is always a noun. So this is kind of what the magic will affect. So we try to avoid proper nouns because they're incredibly hard to use and incredibly specific nouns. So we try to go for stuff that's easy to use, like jump, run, um, hop, uh, car, metal, vehicle, um, kinds of emotions. And then we have augments which are kind of like describing words, but they can be really any kind of word you want. And basically we say we've got the aspect and then we use the augments to describe that word. So basically we're trying to enforce and describe how the change is happening. Okay. So in the case of cold shoulder, cold is the augment and shoulder mm. is the aspect. So we're making, we're using the word cold to affect the shoulder. So this helps narrow down the field of how things work and as a group you can always have more than one augment so more more than one descriptor applied to the word mm, okay and what? in the sense that's how we did limit the magic system so it's kind of like a soft soft magic system with hard rules okay and no one can use magic by themselves right how do you Okay, interesting though. So how do you break, is there a way to, do you have a mechanical way to get around the deadlock when somebody, when, if, if that occurs, or is there, or you just say like, no, we have to work this out and take the next 15, 30 minutes, half, half hour, whatever. Um, Basically, when, when some, someone says no, mm -hmm. that's it. It's like consent. You don't mm -hmm. want to have okay. a conversation, you stop talking. Okay. And they can't just force you to use your words. Right. Um, I, I think that's a very important part, that teamwork isn't something that's forced. Mm -hmm. Is it incentivized at all beyond more powerful magic? Because it sounds like like if one parceling uh, brings a noun to the table, let's say, uh, and then three more pile on, does it get bigger and more difficult to handle? Or does it just get like more powerful? Or how does that, so how does that work? So what happens is everyone, when we do the pass, it's not just one person making the check or the draw to see if the pass fails, um, fails or succeeds, succeeds. Mm -hmm. but it's everyone. So the main actor draws the most cards, the, the person that's using that, the aspect, and then everyone else draws two cards from their deck. So everyone's contributing. So it, it feels like this big thing that the group is doing together and that mm -hmm. everyone's pitching in. And that's kind of what I wanted to push across. Mm -hmm. But you choose, you sort of gamble on how many successes or how many how well you succeed by telling the GM I want to do this level of pars, mm. um, and it goes all the way from simple stuff like opening a door right up to changing the laws of reality, or creating mm -hmm. sentient beings. So it, it's all determined by how far the team thinks they can push an idea mm. with their decks. Mm. And that's where most of the discussion comes in because there's penalties, obviously, if you don't fail. Like, if you straight up try to become a god, you could die if you fail, or you could become a god. Hmm. So, how, it, how, does it, that, how does how do you uh, how do you account for the negative? Like, where is that in the word itself too, or is it like 
an extra uh, mechanic. Um, so could you rephrase that question? I, I guess what I'm not saying like, um, what I mean is, uh, if, if does, is the, um, the downside to a particular spell, is that inherent in the power level or in the word? Inherent in the power level. Okay. So, um, that's the way I did it so that it would be more accessible to more GMs rather than just myself. Hmm. That being said, I do encourage all GMs to think about the consequences of such a pass. Mm. Because if someone tries to solve global warming by cooling down the planet, mm -hmm. that could be devastating. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, bringing your, your vacuum to life to clean up all the dirt, that could mm. also be bad. Oh, yeah, if it takes all the dirt literally and then... Yeah. Just... <laughs> Keeps eating. <laughs> yeah. So it, I, I, I strongly encourage um, the GMs to use the logic to mm. see what would work and what wouldn't work. And if they decide to tell the players that this could happen, it's up to them. Mm. Or if they'd like to have as a sneaky he 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 moment, that's also up to them. Hmm. It kind of sounds like almost the entire magic system is just everybody casting Wish. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the GM going, ah, you forgot to say, like, you didn't want the turkey to be undead. And so now it's just undead turkeys everywhere. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds it like was... a fun part. Like, you, uh -huh. you have so much room for creativity that you can just, like, insert all of these different interpretations. I, I think it's amazing. It's, it's it, it relies is. heavily. It relies heavily on a GM, like with most yeah. games, to uh, bring out its full potential. Mm. So, so could, like, could this be undertitled like the monkey's paw? Does the order of the words ever end up mattering? Because there is like a, an order in which like adjectives are supposed to be used in English that is kind of inherent. Like, do you ever bring that up? Sometimes. Sometimes I just suggest people to reword or reorganize the sequence of words but sometimes the parses get so long that they're kind of gobbledygook and it's easier to hand wave that part of the language system away to make things a little bit easier on the players um i think that's a little sacrifice you do for flow mm -hmm. Um, but again, it's up to personal GM taste because I've actually said uh, hard nose to certain things because they don't make sense. Mm, okay. What's an example of a hard no? Let's say someone. Uh, let me pull up my player sheets because <laughs> there's probably an example I can dig up somewhere. Big uh, red circle. No. <laughs> F minus. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so let's take a look. So say we're trying to close a gap mm -hmm. and like a hole in a boat or something. And the, someone's got the word experiment as an aspect, as a subject. And someone tries to use, oh, it's hard to say, it's really hard to come up with an example on the spot mm -hmm. where it doesn't See, work. What I would want to use to fill this is yep. two halves. Uh, can you say that again? I miss it clipped out for me. If I use two halves, so two halves make a whole. Yes, that could definitely work. You'd oh, be creating the, the other half that's missing. 
<laughs> or, or would you just be making the hole bigger? You could make. <laughs> <laughs> I get the pun. No, I get the pun. But yes, uh, that could work. That theoretically could work. Um, but then the GM could say, aha, you've made the second half of the, well, what's missing, mm -hmm. but it's not technically half of the boat. And that's where you get really pedantic. That's where a GM could say, maybe that doesn't make as many as much sense. Mm -hmm. But I personally would allow that because it just makes it easier for the story to go on because otherwise you could end up in a talk for half an hour about what right. magic to use. Right. <laughs> I mean, see, that, that's the thing that always like came up when I played stuff like, I mean, even it, th those kind of things even came up in like third edition D&D &D and stuff like mm. that. Where it was like we argued over like this spell says a specific amount of weight. We think this is this, you know, for a while, right? And yeah. in uh, in games like um, uh, less so Mage the Awakening because it was uh, uh, a little more codified, but in Ascension Mage the Ascension it was like pretty it was still pretty damn open as to what you could do. Um, and like Ron Edwards Sorcery is the same way, where uh, there would be like entire sessions would go by where we talked about two things, and it's like, so do you, do you offer in in your in the book? like in, 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 in the advice section, do you offer like guides as, as ways to how to keep the story going and suggestions to the GM to like, you know, if the players are getting stuck here, this, here's some things you might try. I think I have, I need to double check. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I've included stuff like this, but I don't mm -hmm. know if I've given too many specifics. Mm -hmm. um, rather my advice to the GMs is to guide your players slowly when you think things are becoming stagnant. Mm. Um, because Ideally, it's it doesn't take an hour to just come up with a solution, but mm -hmm. sometimes it does when it's something very complicated. And for the pausings themselves, time does slow down while they're doing this, so they kind of like thinking at a hyper pace. But that's really oh, okay. just an explanation for why we can have these uh, these long discussions. <laughs> um, Which is fair. I mean, that's a perfectly yeah. good way to handle this basically a mm. meta element of the game and i, I appreciate mm. that you're actually explaining that yeah it's uh, the entire game is trying to keep the entire game's design is trying to keep you as immersed as possible and while it does have these complications of having these conversations it doesn't have as many moments of oh i can't do anything mm -hmm. i guess i just pass my turn mm. And it's not like you can't do anything on your friend's turn because you could be participating in some of these magics and it just keeps that whole I'm not paying attention because it's not my turn. Right. Thing at bay. Um, but my advice is generally to be a little bit laxer and a little bit looser as a GM and go with the flow. Do you... Um, so, so does your game have like a codified uh, like a, a combat system or like an initiative or or what how would okay say say um say a couple of players get into a fight yep. uh how does that resolve uh aside from what well, when you're not doing parsing or do you Magic. just sort of you just sort of say like that's what the players are going to use because that's the the tool in their kit or do you have um, i've got a, a combat system okay yeah um so essentially since we don't use dice we don't roll for initiative rather mm -hmm. we 
take the first card we see um, off the top of our deck and add it to a static score. Um, so say they draw a three and they've got a score of five, then they've got initiative of eight. Now, the way initiative works in our system is that you can group initiatives together. So if you're right next to someone, it makes sense for you to move and act with them together. And this sort of leans into the ability to pause because you have to be touching to pause. But the idea is that you take the highest person, whoever's fastest, and then make them slightly slower per person in their group. So that means enemies bunched up, if there's a whole mass of them, they're going to be naturally uh, slower than an individual, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what you see in movies when there's a 1v many situation. Um, But the deck itself acts as like a HP bar. So when the deck is done, um, you lose a HP point. And if you lose enough HP points, you die. But the idea is that when you hit someone, you reduce the cards from their deck. Oh, okay. Do, do NPCs have their own card decks? NPCs can have their own card decks. Um, but I also understand that it's not easy making a deck of cards for each individual mob character. So there is a quick NPCs version where you just use dice, okay. which is which makes things easier as a GM. Because half the time, have you ever run into the situation where you're GMing and your players suddenly take interest on um, Joe Bloggs, who you haven't done any planning for? <laughs> uh-huh. I think every GM's run into that. Sure. <laughs> um, so I, I sometimes escape. My, my best solution for escaping that is never plan anything for anyone. So <laughs> A GM after my own heart. I yeah. let my plan, players write the sessions for me as a as a GM. Um, yeah, <laughs> the idea is that, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The idea is that you can just grab a, a couple of d6s and roll dice to represent their deck mm-hmm. of cards, and you've got low risk NPCs which use two dice, um, moderate risk which use three to four, and then high risk NPCs like dangerous NPCs that use six mm-hmm. dice. And then you just distribute your stats really quickly and generate a character, which is all a part of the the role of a GM, to be able to assess risks and assess how well your party has dealt with risks before. It's hmm. a really good way of presenting it, because I think that's, that's definitely a key part of GMing in a lot of games is to do that risk assessment. Um, but I've never heard it done, like said that way. So I like that that's the presentation. Um, mm. do, do you have like a, with your game in particular, I think you have a lot of very open aspects. Uh, do you have a, a GM advice section that pertains specifically to your game and, and what kind of tips would you give a GM who is running parcelings for the first time? Um, so actually in my book, I've got a section that revol- revolves around gen- GMing as a whole, um, as advice and then specific mechanics to help your session run better. My advice is to take everything that your players use and write and say on board, take notes and then use it to use it with them and against them when building your world, because it actually involves them in the process of playing the game and making the world. And even though they might hate you for it in the short term, it also gets them involved and they say, see, I told you this was a bad idea to their friends. (laughs) Cool. That's always a good. That's always a good thing to hear at the table. Yeah. Yep. Um, in, in, a, yeah. 
in a few of our games, we've talked about this as well, about how important like building that kind of shared setting is. Um, and with, with my game in particular, it's just a bunch of questions where it's like, what is one of the biggest uh, risks or hazards in the world? And that's always a question that's like, you got to be careful what you want to answer with this, because that's that's definitely <laughs> coming back to bite you multiple times. Um, so uh, I, I can definitely see how like that helps to build that investment, though. And I, I completely agree with you that that's exactly what the GM wants to latch on to, to be able to make the experience exactly what players want. Um, mm. and, and yeah, that's that's the perfect kind of advice, I think, for for at least my style of playing the game, where we don't need to read this tome of lore. Uh, about our setting, it can just be something that we flesh out at the table that we're like developing, and that that kind of comes back to to fill in what the players are wanting and expecting from the setting. So I, I really like that. So more on that, like mm-hmm. I've just been playing around with writing up a, a little set of mechanics for GMs that don't know what to do for a session, mm-hmm. and the idea is to use the players' own experience, well, the characters' own experiences to flesh out the world. So. In in the game, you sort of draw cards and how many six what you get you have different types of suits for different types of things like the clubs are for physical things, the spades are for mental things, the hearts are for social things. But the idea is that you can make checks just at the start of the session um, to define things, and this really helps out the characters that aren't combat focused because most games most games with combat. Um, combat is the focus, but it also makes any of the characters that haven't specialized in those areas feel like their abilities aren't being used to the fullest. But with this system, I basically get people to go through a basic perception check to state what the players and um, what the characters have seen as true facts. So if this is subjective facts, what they've observed in the world, then we get go through and see what they've remembered. And they can add in facts that the characters have actually remembered. And then we can go through rumors about what they've heard from people around them. And all of these things are true, but they're all, they're all also subjective details, which lets the GM sort of mix and match what they need to twist things around as they please. But it also gives them enough ideas to run a session. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's... Yeah, the the idea of a of letting the players tell you what they want rather than authoring something for them to, uh, you know, hit your hit your milestones on, I think is a overall better way to do it. I mean, there's ways to do that. Like like a point crawl is is kind of similar to that, where where you're kind of listening to the players like they want to go explore this area, so you kind of know to flesh out that thing a little, like things like that a little bit more. But I feel like when there's when there's good direction and there's game there's an opportunity for in the game's mechanics to let the players like state what they want i i feel that 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 kind of running style becomes really successful when you have mm-hmm. and the players are you know because when i i would assume that the players are choosing their own words in the beginning uh when they're making characters and then uh, in these uh the, these initial perception checks checks they're populating with the worlds with things that are already interesting to them right so exactly this two-layer effect of like hey here's stuff that's interesting to me and here's interest things that i can do that i find interesting to affect stuff 
And if you put it together, then it's like, oh, I can do interesting things to interesting things. And you're getting this upward spiral of engagement that mm -hmm. seems to be uh, quite well, quite well put together. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's definitely the intent when I was making this game, because I know <clears throat> when I was a player, I've not always enjoyed the sessions because I haven't always had a say in what's going on. Mm. And sometimes I've switched off. But yep. don't tell my GMs I mean, that. <laughs> one of the biggest problems is if you don't have any player agency, you're not playing the game, you're watching the game. Mm -hmm. That's not the same thing, unfortunately. Yeah. It really isn't. It's not what you came to do at the table. Exactly. Yeah, I, there, there is a place where you can, you know, it might be fun that somebody's basically reading you a bedtime story, but that's not really what you signed up for kind of thing. Exactly. Like, you could have just gone on and played a Telltale tale game or something. Mm. Even a Telltale game would have been more, more agency. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back. I'm gonna defend the uh, the pre-written module just a little bit because those can be fun to run through. You know, you like, you know, you know what you're showing up for in a sense. Like yeah. when the GM pulls out, like, oh, we're running this tonight, and you go, oh, cool, it's a dungeon, and there's frog demons in it, and I'm I'm on board for that. Um, but I feel like there's without that sort of meta, um, that sort of level of meta engagement where the players know they're running in, through an adventure that's like you know, that's kind of on rails in some sense. And everybody's agreeing like, okay, we're going to play through this plot and this story and maybe we'll fuck it up in the, in, in the middle. But we're all agreeing to like, um, mm. I think that works pretty well for, for most people. I, I think the parts where it breaks down are when you have players that have, um, I mean, like for me, for example, like I've, I mean, I've done that a lot. And so there's not, there's not a lot of module can give me that I'm looking for, like at this point in like, when I'm playing a game, I'm looking to really do weird and interesting shit and not have, not have a pre-written scenario that I'm gonna be running through, you know what I mean? So like, I feel like games like this are, are, ta are taking advantage of sort of like the post D&D tale effect where, mm. where some people are like, they, they come into a mainstream type game and then they realize that they're sort of like they're sort of in this box and they you know hear about something else and then they they cotton onto one of these indie games where it's like wide open and then it's like like you 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 just like oh what i can just say stuff and it happens and there's no i don't have to like consult a chart or anything like that it's like this is crazy um so i think there's a really nice and it's expanding too, which is really cool. Like I'm seeing a lot of RPGs lately, which are like almost anti D and D's, you know, where it's like, there's, there's no combat and there's mm -hmm. like killing people is penalized. And like, when, you know, it's really, um, not about power level in a sense, it's more about like what you do, uh, and how you want to affect things rather than, you know, we're going to assume the players are going to affect things in this way. And let's say how much. You know what I mean? So you're sort of not being a, you're not making, a, you're not power gaming, rather you're okay. playing as another person. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, I think that's very important because I know I started in World of Darkness, which is very open, very freeing. If you made some homebrew adjustments. Rules. 
but somebody who started World of Darkness, I I I feel I feel like I get to say that. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't <laughs> said anything about. <laughs> Um, but again, that was cause that was my first experience as a homebrew, and then I went to D and D. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> like, I, I don't have any choice. I don't have any agency. I can only do spells three times a day. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They yeah. do spells three times a day, and they have a very rigid definition, and I have to keep track of. Uh, it's... <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In some I, ways, I can kind of see D and D being as like you know, baby's first games. Like people aren't really used to using their imagination so much. Like, hey, the players have an imagination. Like you see this in, like even the meme that it's like the first D and D character you play is like I'm going to be Bugsy you know, the Clown. <laughs> oh, it's more like I'm going to be an an elvish druid. And it's like, okay, that that's great. By the time it's like your fifth D and D character, it's like, so I'm a uh, I'm a I'm a loaf of bread that uses mage hand to carry itself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like obviously the players have this imagination in them. They mm. just haven't really gotten used to the concept of exploring it yet so like the first few modules and such in like D&D is like okay this is very railroady but you aren't really looking for more than that because you don't know what you were looking for yet but then you get to something more open-ended like Pursling's here and it's like okay you can actually start doing weird stuff like you're not going to be boxed in it's not going to be quite as rough as like D D like D D the the wish spell is one of the most powerful things in the game. Like you don't get it until the very end because they don't think that you're ready to handle that kind of power early on. Like they assume that you start off at level one. As a player, you're incompetent as a player, basically. And they don't trust <laughs> you to be competent until later in the game. This is like that's a really pessimistic and true way of seeing. <laughs> I have to agree. It's interesting. It, it's interesting to hear it that way. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah, but that's basically how D and D views things. Is like they assume that like the players don't actually know how to play until later in the game. They don't give them any leeway until they think the players have actually gotten used the game as a concept and they might be bored at this mm. point maybe we should actually give them some stuff to do whereas parcelings it's like okay right off the bat you <laughs> can do some really weird stuff mm. this is it makes me a little i don't know if concerned is the right way to put it but it's like do you think this will limit your target audience like a bit or do you think it that Maybe things like D and D are a little too restrictive, and players are actually capable of a little more than they they seem to allow. I think it really depends on the player, because at some stage they'll be ready to go and make go off and make their own worlds. But I think also being having a little bit of hand holding isn't a bad idea. I may introduce the hand holding later on in in stories and the like but it's like any video game you have progression 
like you don't get all the cool abilities at the start and every every video game is modeled based on D D. well you know D D and D like games so i don't think it's a bad thing that D D is like that but i think when i made this game i didn't i you can't target everyone yeah no. um no, so yeah. You have to pick a target audience and you Absolutely. have to specialize your game for that audience. It's just, it's mostly a question uh, how large of a target audience were you aiming for? Well, I come from the back, a background of being an artist and a comic artist at that. So my original target was people that liked being creative people that liked exploring situations and coming up with zany solutions or realistic solutions, but being able to have the tools to get out of any situation they want as long as they play the cards right. So my target audience is for those that want to explore, those that want to create, those that want to feel like they can take something away that they can call their own. Because in games like classes, you say I've got a you've got I've got a druid, I've got a warrior, I've got a barbarian. You don't say I've got this character that I made when yeah. describing them. Yeah, and, and I think that's a that's a philosophy that uh, you and I share in this, and I think that's why possibly at least for me, I gravitated towards the the deck building aspect. Because it's not about just defining your character in like a single archetype. It's about you've constructed this thing that is unique to you, and that's part of what made it so exciting for me to to play with that idea of your your character can be this spectrum of different things and not just these these disparate um, choices that you're making. So mm. I'm glad to see that that's what you're holding to in parcelings as well. Um, one of the challenges that I think comes with that kind of openness um, in content too is um, for um, content safety and stuff. I'm not sure if you've considered what you want to do with that or if you what your um, your your position is on it. But I know at least for for my experiences that leaving the game open to a lot of these different sort of topics to come up or this different combination of of elements means that there's a a space in between that you as the game creator can't really design for. Um, so how have you approached trying to make sure that the content that is delivered at the table is something that um, is safe content for everyone? Well, I think that does also come down to the GMs. I think you need to have that talk at the table, what yeah. is safe and what isn't. It's not, as much as I want to say, you can't do this, you can't do that, that's not how games work. That's especially mm -hmm. not how tabletops game work, games mm -hmm. work. Because you can have all those controversial topics and stuff that isn't safe for everyone in D&D. &D. You mm -hmm. just need a GM that pushes for it. Right. But yeah. Again, it's the session zero is incredibly important. The where you decide what the world is about, what you guys want to see, mm -hmm. what is okay and what isn't okay. Mm -hmm. Like you pushing boundaries a little bit is good but pushing like carrying people right out of the safety zones is a bad idea yeah yeah because you can ruin friendships that way yeah mm -hmm. oh, it has does, to be a choice does the um <clears throat> do you okay 
for the for when you're doing that that sort of safety talk, is there a tone that you generally shoot for? In ter- like, is there a default? I mean, I would assume there's a default tone that Parslings has in terms of like it's um, because I get a sense from the art that there's that it's not like a grim dark setting, right? It's not it's not that kind of um, tone in in the art, and so like the art feels to me like it's comic booky, it's cartoony. There's a um, illustrative quality to it that's not standard and so for me like i jump to like oh this is a game about like messing with words but the tone is a little it's kind of like i don't know what the, the way to say it is but it's like light-hearted animation or like serious animation where it's like it's light-hearted but there's also like real drama underneath you know what i mean is that the kind of like tone that you're shooting for because that's what i get when i look at like a bunch of the art i think in discussions of identity, you have to be able to take them lightheartedly and also seriously at the same time. So while I use a lot of bright colors, I also use a lot of heavy blacks in my pieces, like not black blacks, but as in heavy ink tones, heavy line mm-hmm. art. Right. And I think the way I've done it is to suggest that not everything is bright and happy. There are a lot of solid things that you're going to hit in this game that are uncomfortable, that are mm-hmm. different. But that shouldn't stop you from having a good time. But certainly, there are very grim aspects to the story. Mm-hmm. Like, with the puzzling words, they are supposedly linked to the character's identity. So who they are, who, um, pe- who what people see them as. And as you probably know, people do change and grow. So sometimes these words don't fit them. Mm. And it's always a question of, do you let the words define you? Or do you try and become something more? Mm. So there are very heavy topics. And there's probably going to be some stuff that not uh, people may not like. Like the concept of incoherence. So incoherence are like parslings that have either died or become so um, mixed up and losing their humanity. They've been so focused on what their words are that they sort of degenerate into this farce of a human, farce of a creature. They're incredibly powerful and they can get a lot of things done, but they're not exactly healthy beings. And I guess what I'm trying to talk and say here is that being obsessed with one thing isn't always a good thing. Right. Interesting. Do you use, um, are, are there, are there tools that you use, uh, or, or describe in the book, like lines and veils or like the X card to, for safety? Because I feel like there's, whenever you're doing something with, um, definitions, there's, I feel like there's the danger of shading into places where, mm, for lack of a better word, can, can make people uncomfortable, but like, do you, so I assume you handle that in a session zero, but is there a specific, a specific tool or set of tools that you, that you rely on? See, I didn't think it was necessary to mention the X card since it's become such a pervasive thing mm-hmm. in our community. And I think it also comes to the players and the table having basic empathy, mm-hmm. which in hindsight, maybe the wrong move, but I think 
it's you need to have that communication you need to be able to talk with your gm and say mm -hmm. i'm not comfortable with this can you please stop or even if you have just a, like a safe word that only the gm knows and it's like okay i need to switch topics mm -hmm. but yeah i have discussed some of these things mm -hmm. in in the book and i've always i've also encouraged players giving feedback at the end of the session of how both the characters feel and how they they themselves feel about the session mm. because Is sometimes they're very two different things yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a mechanical part? Like when you is it like a part of like a, a formal session wrap up, or is it sort of an informal kind of like survey the players at the end, read the room type thing? Um, it's it's something that I've always done. I hmm. think I'm I'm just double checking that I've actually included it in this rules. Otherwise, I'll be made out to be a liar. <laughs> <laughs> um, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> but generally, I, I do believe that I've written into the into running a session and doing wrap up mm -hmm. of a session that you need to go through and summarize the session. Yeah. Were play, um, what did players learn? What were the good moments, the heroic moments, the wise moments of the, the game? What were the funny moments that you want to remember and record? Like mm -hmm. you actually record them down on the cards for um, for extra perks, but also how the characters are feeling and how they're feeling. I think that's important on how you end the session that you basically have an epilogue to each session. Mm -hmm. And I have indeed written down a paragraph on this. So please read the GM, the GM session. <laughs> it's very important. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the end, everything's about communication. Yeah. The X card is a tool, but yeah. if you have if you can foster an environment that players are comfortable just saying that they need a change, then that's also good as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel it's probably more useful in games that are with strangers. To, well, yeah, with strangers for one, for mm -hmm. sure. But I think even more so in games where there's where there's um, the game is is ex explicitly about like. Like Bluebeard's Bride, for example, like where, where it's about like feminine fears and, you know, it's very a part of the experience that like the game is intentionally pushing people to touch like hard subjects. Um, and I think it, it bears mentioning and really it, it's really worth mentioning in games like that. And maybe it's it, it only because maybe people won't know they can do it. You know what I mean? Like if the game's saying like, hey, we're going to take on like very tough subjects, if the players don't have like a formal out, then they may think that like it's part of the ride. You know what I mean? And um, I, I don't, I'm not getting that sense from Parslings where it's like, hey, this is about like, take your pick of horrible historical events that, that we're going to just replay and, uh, you know, you're along for the ride. But I feel mm -hmm. like there's, there's, because Parslings kind of orients itself around communication as a game mechanic, I feel like there's less of a chance for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. Again, this game was built upon the idea that we need to have the discussion about identity, about who we are, what yeah. words actually do mean when we say this about someone. And yeah. part of the game at the start is that everyone else gives words that... Get... So the words the players get on their characters aren't 
technically chosen. They're rather everyone gets to contribute words into a pool of words for that character, and then mm. they randomly get one of those words because you can't control what people say about you. Right. But it's you. You need to understand what they're saying or how you're saying things about other people. So, mm -hmm. I think it's it's something that I am aiming to generate a discussion on mm -hmm. through the through the game. And I very well in my own campaigns, I never have black and white villains. Mm. They're just people right. with their own goals. Right. Actually, I have a bit of a somewhat related question here. So, out of curiosity, you have obviously a lot of stuff to do with like the main purpose of the game, like the parsling, this word magic. <laughs> but this is kind of vaguely what you touched on earlier, that people tend to get, you know, they almost um, tunnel vision in on this thing. Like, if you have, say, the X-Men or something, like some superhero where they have this special ability, once you have the hammer, everything starts looking like a nail. Do you have anything for parcelings that lets you basically use things like personal skills that aren't related to their magical words? Yes. Um, but it's not as much as the focus as everything else, because well, it, the system is probably more cl close to Shadowrun and World of Darkness in the fact that you've got your image or your attributes and your skills for them to apply and deal with mundane issues with mundane skills. Not everything is meant to be solved by a parse, because sometimes it's just easier for you to change a light bulb with your bare hands rather than try to... <laughs> Replace it with magic. <laughs> that can never go horribly wrong, but there are there is a lot you can do without the magic. So what you're saying is that the answer to how many people does it take to turn it, like you know, change a light bulb, is not two plus. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it it should be one. <laughs> Unless you really want to. I mean, I think 2 plus is still possible, and you can just do it in a very dramatic way. But uh, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not recommended. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the yeah. light bulb's really high up. Who knows? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Then, in which yeah. case, then you might need some to, someone's shoulders to stand upon. Who knows? <laughs> and maybe they want to be cold. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very frigid shoulders. They're everywhere. They're stable. Um, like that. Or anti <laughs> I don't know. I'll <laughs> Um, I want to ask about uh, what you're doing for the Kickstarter specifically. Are you doing like, um, like what kind of rewards are, are, are coming? Are you doing a print or is it just going to be like a PDF or, or what's, uh, what, what do you have going on? So as far as the Kickstarter goes, we've got a couple different tiers. Well, main tiers. One, mm -hmm. so we've got the PDFs uh, um, for, I guess, the general for general use. Um, mm -hmm. They're still very big files, as you can imagine, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of art. Um, then we've got the, f and that comes in at $15. Mm -hmm. um, from what I've discussed with my publisher, um, it's going to be available through DriveThru RPG mm -hmm. as the main distributor and possibly their website, but I haven't confirmed on that part. 
Then we've got the physical copies of the rule book at $45. This is all in USD, even though I'm mm -hmm. Australian, which I find is odd, but it's easier to set, stick to <laughs> USD. Um, which is basically a physical copy of the book. And mm -hmm. I can say that it's probably better in print. Double thumbs up. No. <laughs> um, That's what I'll be getting for sure. Yeah. And then there's also a module that we're putting out um, with the core rulebook, which is in the tier above it, which you get a physical copy of the, the core rulebook, the module, and also a deck of cards. So I've got four different designs to choose from at this point in time. Once you just um, said twenty dollars for the digital copies. <laughs> twenty dollars. Okay. Okay. I, I've got to fix that now. Um, you just jumped in chat. <laughs> so twenty dollars. Okay. We're hearing um, from the boss. Yeah, yeah. Hearing from the boss. It's near the fifteen. I think I was looking at an outdated image because I couldn't send you the updated image. So $20, mm -hmm. 45 and 85 Very cool. Um, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> um, and then the add-ons for extra deck of cards, can I get a confirmation with the smudgy? Is it still $15? <laughs> Smudge? I don't know, man. Yeah. 15 bucks for the extra cards? That okay. sounds reasonable. I've, yeah, I've been looking at that for myself too and trying to figure out if I were to price out the Kickstarter at what point decks of cards come in uh, mm. and whether to bundle them. Cause I, I, I know for my game, every player needs a deck of cards and I think it's the same for, for what you're saying. Um, so yeah. Uh, when she says that is correct. 15. Yeah. 15. Still 15. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Solid. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to couple that with the book. And I think in like practical terms with us stuff, it's uh, different shippings and all of this. So I, yeah, the the decks of card make it pretty sweet though. That's a very tempting uh, uh, extra bonus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's even better when you've got multiple card designs to choose from. Please yeah, exactly. Because now I want to get all four. So mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there's also a deck of um, uh, NPC blank cards that you can also purchase. Cool. So if you need a quick NPC and you want to reuse it, you just scribble down on one of these cards, and then you've got a reference. Nice. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's the basic tiers of the Kickstarter and stretch goals. Um, let me pull this up so that I don't get this wrong either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the stretch goals basically revolve around generating a little bit of extra content where I give you some, I, I make up some example NPC cards um, for you to use, whether they just be general humans, um, lingua or even letting people submit an animal based pun for me to create a lingua a monster <laughs> behind oh I'm, that that might that sounds fun and that that that's, that's going to be fun to work with hopefully please i please give me the cringiest puns you can <laughs> cat <laughs> yeah cat um, this, is, we, this is all you we, cat we should fund that out of the non-existent budget for the show <laughs> <laughs> Um, and again, there might be an extra little, um, extra little pledge level unlocked, um, when we hit a certain threshold. Sweet. So keep watching the Kickstarter as we go along. Oh, um, yeah, but yeah. yeah. I mean, that is one thing that you kind of hope for in a Kickstarter is that, oh no, we've actually met all of our goals and all of our stretch goals. 
Now what? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there can always be more stretch goals. So exactly, yeah. we can always just I can just always do up another graphic and put another five reasonable things for me to do within a month period. Because basically, yeah. when the Kickstarter ends, I want to not have a huge delay in fulfillment and say I need to get more content in because I don't think that's the way to run a Kickstarter. If you pay for something, you should get it as soon as possible. At least mm -hmm. that's my intent. Mm -hmm. And whether shipping agrees with or not is another thing entirely. It won't. It looks, <laughs> Logistics looks a little is bit hard. Logistics is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at least from my end, I'll be doing the best I can to get it out as soon as possible. Cool, man. I really, I'm really glad to hear that your content complete before the Kickstarter even launches. Because a lot of games, I think these days, do launch their Kickstarter somewhere in the middle of writing. And when they've got a certain threshold of art done, um, I mean, that's certainly how I'm going to do it because, you know, the you Kickstarter is going to any money for art. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, I'm, I'm doing some of the art myself, but like, um, you know, the, the other art is, is large and expensive. And, you know, I want to pay oh, the guy well. Yes. So I'm very lucky uh, that I do all my own art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've seen with the, with the I'm not sure if it's changed, but have you seen what the current Ashes artwork looks like? Yeah, it's gonna be expensive. <laughs> worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but um awesome. I feel like okay. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Kamar. No, it's okay. Yeah, most most uh I feel like saying this. Uh most the most common dimensions that the I forgot how I was going to say this. Basically, most people, uh, both, like the mostly artists that Rob is working with, co most commonly produce album cover sized images and oriented yep. images. So <laughs> they're working a bit out of their medium. Yeah. I mean, that's that's okay. And it's a good it is a good experience for that artist to grow. Yeah. And it just means that you know they can say, "Yes, I do RPG art as well." Or, please no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like trying to, because because you don't you don't have the problem of like trying to explain what you want somebody to do to you know to get across. Like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm thinking this, and then they come back with a sketch, and you're like, um, yeah, but also not quite. But like, right. you're just like, I'm just gonna do it. I mean, that's. I mean, I'm doing the 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 some of the illustrations for the book as well. So I like, I'm, I'm capable of doing some stuff, but like the big painting painterly type stuff, like I would really, I mean, I, it, I mean, I probably could do it, but boy, the it's time, not going to be at the level that you want right away. Yeah. And I, it's I not going to be level one. The time as well is, is, is a, is a bigger thing. The time is a bigger thing. Cause my day, I have a day job that I, you know, it's full time. And then I do, mm this and the other stuff so like it's time is actually the, the thing that i'm paying for not exactly yeah. yeah i don't know though rob like every artist friend that i know of, mm -hmm. it's they always get that art where they're like they just do it themselves and they look and it's like mm, it's not quite what i was going for see if you can spot the ones that i'm like that for the book <laughs> um, it, in the end all the art of the book is a year's journey yeah. maybe a little bit more so it's it, it, I want to see if people can actually pick out the stuff that I did at the very start mm -hmm. before everything else 
and the and the art pieces that I did at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it it's going to be interesting. There's certainly pieces that I've loved and I've been showing to everyone. Um, hence the spam on Twitter. But, you know, that's I should say self promotion on Twitter, not that's spam. Right. Um, but there's definitely pieces that I love more than others. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything I've seen from it looks great, so it deserves mm -hmm. to be uh, uh, self-promoted as, as heavily as you can, because uh, I think the more people that get their hands on it, the more happy people there are. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to get a physical copy for myself. So uh, uh, yeah, best of luck with the Kickstarter. Uh, we'll be de definitely posting links to how you can follow up on the game in our, uh, mm -hmm. our text description. So um, for those who are listening, Definitely come check out uh, Parceling's starter. Yep, September eighth. Yeah, yeah. September eighth. September eighth. I think it's going for a month long. Nice. I'm very excited. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. cool. I'm very excited to get the physical copy also because I, I love, man, I love books. I, just, I know. I <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and my, you know, not one I want to fix, but. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the physical books. I've got a couple prototypes, and it's just cool. really fun looking at how thick, how much thicker they are with each iteration. So, oh, sweet. I, yeah, That's I awesome. can't wait to get my copy. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been really cool following the project along. As uh, I mean, because I think I first saw it in the game design Discord, and that's where I was like, oh, this is cool. Let's get this guy on. And then I couldn't make I think it that's the podcast. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> happens. But you know, uh, I'm glad we got this opportunity to talk, and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing this seeing this come to fruition because it's been really cool to see the bits that have been leaking out mm -hmm. as you've been as you've been doing it, and uh, like and seeing the layouts and stuff like that, and I, and the concept's really cool too. Just just the idea of building a game around you know the choice of like, do you let what somebody says about you define you or do you take control and, and, and define yourself? I think that's a really strong core concept. And I, I, I'm really eager to see that uh, propagate outwards into the RPG space. Mm -hmm. All we can hope for is for a change in the, in the t tabletop space that it grows for the better. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, man. I think it will. Yeah. <laughs> It's always growing. Just we we get to shape it as designers, and that's the fun part. So that is the fun part. Yeah. Absolutely. If our games ever come out, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Why did you have to bring that up? We're all on our like fucking tenth rewrite. <laughs> and, Man, and, at uh, some point you just gotta let go, push it yeah. out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for real. Yeah, but it can be better. It can always be better, but it, I know. I, I guess it's always a question of will this make me another dollar, or will this just be for personal pride? Right. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, it, it basically comes into you're going to run out of something. You're going to run out of some resource. It might be money. It might be time. It might be patience. I have a lot of patience. <laughs> <laughs> That might be the most dangerous resource to have. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. 
I for one am glad that uh, this project is coming to the uh, the point where we can all have it in our hands. Um, yeah. Looking forward to it for a while. So uh, best of luck for the Kickstarter. I'll, I'll definitely be watching it and making sure to cheer you on as you're succeeding. Um, Thank uh, you. Hope it goes well. So get some rest and, and sleep lots because I know it's a stressful time, but mm -hmm. the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bundle nerds, man. Pretend yeah. to sleep. I'll I'll try to pretend. I am not very successful with that. Yeah, I mean, yes. just avoid people every now and then for like an eight-hour stretch, and just tell them that you were asleep. Cat, that doesn't count. We've talked it. about this many times. You can't, just, <laughs> <laughs> you can't just stay up for thirty-five days straight. It doesn't work. No, it really That's doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> can't tell me what not to do <laughs> okay sure <laughs> um all right man well yeah. thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate you taking the time to uh to, to come and chat with us and uh, talk about that game and we're going to be looking forward to, uh, yeah, to the kickstarter september 8th from smunchy games so uh for uh mark cavoir catrice rob myself and blue Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, good night. It is night where you are. Always remember that. Camille, <laughs> hey, say good night. Or just me. Good night. Good night. Good night. night. Good night. All right. And uh, let's, let's uh, where's the stream button? It's on here somewhere. Here it is. Good night for real. <laughs> and we're clear. And we're clear. Nice. That was fun. That was, that was super fun. fun. Thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, or not, we're not picky, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, and uh, and Pornhub. Because why not? Got to go where your audience is, right? Good night, everyone. <laughs>